Good morning. It's good to see all of you with us this morning. If you have your Bible, would you take it and turn with me to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, we're going to look at verses uh, 7, 17 through 19. The screen is wrong. It's 1 Timothy. That was my fault. Sorry about that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 17. We're, we're continuing this series called How to Be Rich. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Rick opened our series and helped us get a, a, lay a good foundation of what it means to actually be rich in this world, to live as Christ followers, as rich people, and really help us to uh, understand what that, uh, what that really means for us. And I'm sure a couple of weeks ago we all walked out of here, if you were with us, with uh, re- really trying to reassess what it means to be rich and thinking about how rich we really are as people. Um, his message a couple of weeks ago was really designed to reorient our thinking as to what it means to be rich and to, to point us in the right direction. It really laid the foundation for what's going to happen today and in the next couple of weeks to come as we continue to explore this idea of how am I to be rich as a Christ follower in this world? What One thing that we looked at a couple of weeks ago was understanding the fact that many of us who sit here today, if not all of us, are rich. Many of us are rich. We looked at the definition of rich, and we understood that rich means having more than you need. And so Pastor Rick, a couple of weeks ago, really asked us to stop and to think through our lives and what we have, and to understand that by definition, the very fact that we have more than we need, the very fact that we have the opportunity to acquire more than we need, means that we are rich. We are people who are wealthy. The other thing that we looked at was this uh, kind of global calculator, if you will. And we helped each other understand that on a global scale, many of us are in the top 5% of the most wealthy people in the world. That global calculator said that that if we made $35,000, if our household income was $35,000, then we are in the top 4% of the wealthiest people globally. If we are, if our income or our household income rose to $47,000, then we are in the top 1% of those who are most wealthy globally. Think about that. $35,000 and you're in the top 4% of those who are most wealthy globally. You're right up there with Oprah. You're right up there with Bill Gates. You're right up there with Steve Jobs from Apple. You are some of the most wealthy people in the world. The problem is, the problem is we don't really feel rich. Rick talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We don't really feel rich. We understand that by definition we may be rich because we have more than we need. We understand that statistically speaking, we are rich because of the the income compared to those on a global picture. But the reality is, many of us, day in and day out, every day, we don't feel rich. And we looked at some reasons for that. 
One of the reasons that we don't feel rich is because there's always this, this moving standard that we apply in our own lives. That somewhere down the road, somewhere in our past, we said, rich means this. And we attached a, a numerical figure to it. And we said, if we could only earn that much money, then we would be rich. And many of us uh, pioneered off in our jobs and tried to climb the corporate ladder. And what we've realized is, is as our as, as we've worked in our business or as we've worked in our trade and as we've ascended the corporate ladder and we've been promoted and got uh, uh, increases in, in, in pay and things like that, the closer we get to that number, we still don't feel rich. So what we do is we just change the number. So instead of it being a certain number, we change it to something else and that's the new target. That's the one that we're shooting for. That's what it means to be rich. So we don't feel rich because we always live with this kind of moving standard. We don't feel rich because we've also lived with some kind of unrealistic expectation of what it means to be rich. Well, if I'm really rich, then I would live this way. If I was really rich, I would live with these kind of of things surrounding me. And so we live with this unrealistic expectation of what it means to be rich. We also don't feel rich because of the reality of the choices we've made. I think many of us could say that that uh, we've looked back on our lives and wish that we would have made some different financial choices. That that you know somewhere back in our past we blew it somewhere down the road, and we wish we would have invested more wisely, or we wouldn't have bought this and and held on to the money, or tried to make it work a little bit longer instead of instead of going out on a limb and and taking these risks. So we don't feel rich because of the reality of the choices we've made. We also don't feel rich because of the peer pressure that we live with. The peer pressure to keep up with our neighbors. We live in a culture and a society, and we'll get into this, where we kind of look at each other and measure other people and say, I need to keep up with them. You know, if I'm going to be rich, I have to have a house that looks like this. Or if I'm going to be rich, I have to have a car that is this make and this model. Or or to be really rich means I mow my lawn in this direction instead of that direction. I mean, that's what rich is, right? Well, maybe it's snow-blowing this time of year, but... But to be rich, we kind of measure ourselves with this peer pressure against other people. And then the other reason we don't really feel rich is because a lot of us have gone into debt trying to measure up to our neighbors, trying to measure up to somebody else. And so even though we may have more than we need, or even though statistically speaking we're in the top 4% globally, there's still a whole lot of month left at the end of our paycheck that we got to pay up and, and figure out how we're going to meet our needs when we've already spent um, the money that we have to, all of, to, to handle and cover all the debt we've amassed. So there's some very real reasons why we don't feel rich. But the reality is, even though we don't feel rich, we are rich. We have more than we need. Many of us can go out and and buy in excess if we desired, even today, to go and just keep piling on the things that that we want or desire. The reality is that we are rich, globally speaking. That God has blessed this country, that God has blessed us as people. I was talking to someone just in between services. We have three teams going this month to the Dominican Republic to serve in short-term missions. And this, this woman said, 
this, this whole church should go to the DR and see the way that they live and the things that they have and the things that they don't have. We are rich people. If you don't believe that for a minute, sit down with somebody who's gone on a missions trip overseas. God has blessed this country and God has blessed us as individuals. We are rich people. So Rick's first message was, was really a, a theoretical foundation for us to really reorient our thinking and our perspective to really help us understand that regardless of the situation we find ourselves in, the reality is we are rich people. We are wealthy. God has blessed us. And so these words that Paul writes to Timothy are really true for us today. Today we move into this uh, more practical application of what, what Paul was saying in 1 Timothy chapter 6. How is it? How are we, as Christ followers, to be rich in this world? How do we live? How do we act? What are we to do as followers of Christ to be rich? To live as one who claims His name, yet has all of this wealth and and riches uh, in our possession. How are we to live? How are we to act? What does it mean to be rich? Today, it's about attitude. Our attitude toward money. Our attitude toward richness. And our attitude in making decisions about money is what Paul is driving at. To do that this morning, I'd like us to consider this. I'd like us to consider the bling of our culture versus the biblical values that we find in Scripture. The bling of our culture versus the biblical values in Scripture. And the question is that we all need to wrestle with is which one we gravitate towards. Which one do we gravitate towards in our everyday lives? When we have a financial decision to make, when we look at our lifestyle, when we look at how we live in this culture, are we driven by the bling of this culture or are we driven by the biblical values that God has for us? Which one do we choose when the options are before us? Which one do we serve? And which one do we leverage and mortgage our richness for? In order to answer that, I think it goes back to attitude. all goes back to attitude. Listen again to Paul's instruction to, to young Timothy on how to guide his people. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There's this slang word in the American language that's become very popular and prevalent over the past decade, and the word is bling. I've already used it this morning. The word bling means any kind of flashy attire worn in an attempt to be the largest and flashiest looking. Any kind of flashy attire worn to be an attempt to be the largest and flashiest looking. Look at me. Look at my bling. Originally it was used to describe the visual image of light reflecting off of diamonds. And so the larger and the more numerous the diamonds, the more bling you had. Now the word has expanded to, uh, to reflect any type, any type of flashy attire. The word has expanded, I think, because the reflection of the American ego has expanded in our quest for wealth 
and in our quest for riches. The more we get, the more we show off. The more we show off, the more we elevate ourselves and our status. And I think we've all bought into this American idea to some degree. We've all at some level bought into this idea that the more stuff that we have, the newer the stuff that we have, the bigger stuff that we have, the flashier the stuff that we have, then the better we are. The better we are as people and the better off we are in our culture. The bigger, the better, the newer, the flashier. That means I'm a better person. The bigger, the newer, the flashier. That means I'm better off. And so we live in this tension. We live in this tension as followers of Christ to follow the bling of this culture or the biblical values that God sets forth. And in this tension, there's a temptation that's created. Because our culture says that the bling of the world is how we are to live. The newer, the better, the bigger, the flashier, the better you are. This is what you want to uh, achieve. This is what you want to aspire to. And you add that to the fact that we are rich people. We really are blessed people. Many of us can just go out and buy whatever we want and even buy in excess. When you put those two components together, it equals a great temptation. A great temptation that leads to the potential flaw of character and judgment. Flaws that if we're not careful, we will get caught up in. And will damage our character and damage our judgment. The first flaw that I see in this kind of living is the flaw of arrogance. What Paul knew and wrote to Timothy about remains true for us today. 2,000 years ago when this book was written, the words of Paul still ring true to us today. Paul says, command the people not to be arrogant. He knew that the quest for money and the quest for wealth and the love of money would lead people to an attitude of arrogance. For decades, we've flexed our bling in an effort to keep up with the Joneses. And not only keep up with them, but to maybe surpass them. We flash and we show off our wealth in ways to elevate ourselves above others. We are rich, and so we buy more, and so we have more than others. And in those moments, we feel superior to other people. Because I have this, I feel better than than you. I look at you and I judge you and I see where you live and because I can accumulate these things, well then, I'm better off than you. I'm not only better off than you, I'm probably better than you. And our culture for decades has taught us and told us that we need to chase this attitude. We see this not only uh, between socioeconomic um, classes, the, 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 the less wealthy looking up to the more wealthy and the more wealthy looking down to those 
who are less wealthy or, or less fortunate. There's not only this tension in the arrogance between classes, but I think there's also this tension in the social class we find ourselves in. We look laterally and we look beside us and we say, those of us, those who are in our own class, we measure ourselves against them. We look at what they, what they have. We see how they live. We see what they do. And we measure ourselves in arrogance because of our quest for wealth against and, and over and against those who are just like us. We look at them and we judge them. And it leads us to arrogance. I want to remind us that that there's nothing wrong with being rich. You see, those are the dangers of wealth. Those are the dangers of being rich. But I want to remind us that there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with with having more than what we need. There's nothing wrong with, with being blessed by God because of our our, uh, our, the way that we've done our job or obe- obeyed Him or have worked in our craft. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. Again, many of us, by definition and statistically speaking, are rich. The problem is one of attitude. What is your attitude in your wealth? What is your attitude in your richness? The problem here is arrogance. The word here in the original language, this word for arrogance means to be high-minded and to be conceited. And so in our quest for wealth and in our lifestyle of, of richness, one of the flaws is an attitude of arrogance. And there's some dangers with that. One of the dangers in, in our attitude of arrogance if we live this way and, and Please understand, I don't have any empirical data to back this up. I didn't gather a bunch of tests and scores. And this is just my gut feel on this, the kind of like average Joe kind of guy. One of the dangers of being arrogant is this idea of in, inconsiderate behavior. Inconsiderate behavior. Can I tell you the real word I wanted to use here? I was trying to make it soft and light and fluffy for you this morning. Can I, can I tell you the real word? It makes you a jerk. Just being honest. You see, when we live a life of arrogance, because of the wealth that we have, when we are conceited, when we are high-minded, because of the wealth that we have, and we live that way, we're just a jerk. And we all know it, don't we? Don't you know when somebody lives that way and presents themselves in front of you because of their wealth, because of their richness, and the way that they present themselves as being high-minded and conceited, what is the first thing in your mind? What a jerk. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, that will be true of us. We live a life resting on our richness, resting on our wealth, becoming high-minded, becoming conceited, becoming arrogant. And the danger is not only the immediate arrogance that's displayed and the immediate moment, but the danger is also the long-term effects that it can have of becoming second nature to us. See, when we're arrogant and nobody calls us on it and nobody checks us on it, and we haven't surrendered that to God. 
what happens is we just wake up and it becomes second nature. Every day that we wake up, we continue to walk in our arrogance and walk in our pride and walk in our high-mindedness and walk in our conceit. And it just becomes second nature. That's just who we are. That's just how we live. We come across as a jerk to others. We're unkind. We're self-absorbed. Now, to be fair, to be fair, sometimes, sometimes we're going to be labeled as a jerk or arrogant or conceited by people who don't even know us. To be fair, there will be people who look at us and judge us from a distance that we are arrogant simply because of our last name, simply because of the job that we have, simply because of the car that we drive, or the, the, the area that we live in, the house that we have, or the schools that we've graduated from. Some people from a distance will judge us and look at us and call us arrogant and call us conceited because they've never really saddled up next to us to get to know us. They just judge us from a distance. Now that's unfair. That's not right. But the reality is there's nothing we can do about that. What we can do, the one thing that we can watch, is our attitude. We can watch our attitude in, in how we live and how we interact with other people so that when people do get to know us, when people do sit across from a dinner table with us, when people do um, uh, strike us up in conversation, they will see that we're not arrogant. The one thing that we can do is change our own attitude and to live in such a way that we don't come across as high-minded and conceited, but we're careful careful in how we act and careful in how we live and careful in the relationships that we have. That's what we can do. Another danger with arrogance is not only does it make us a jerk, but arrogance, I think, really hurts the cause of Christ. Those of us um, who call ourselves Christ followers and live with this air of arrogance, I think we... We damage the cause of Christ. We hurt the kingdom. Because we plow through life with an arrogant attitude. Claiming the name of Christ, we plow through life with an arrogant attitude. Arrogance that is based on wealth. Arrogance that is based on on richness. And we leave in our wake people that are wounded and damaged by our attitudes and insensitivity and self-absorbedness. And those of us who are not trying to be arrogant, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, that are just trying to be humble and and love people, we're left to clean up the mess. We have to come alongside the people that have been wounded by those who who have plowed right through in their arrogance. And we have to help them understand that, well, that's not what it means to follow Christ. That may be a bad example, but don't write off the kingdom because of one bad example. Arrogance is a dangerous flaw to our character and our judgment. And I think we get this way um, based on the next phrase that Paul uses in this passage. I think we become arrogant and and we become high-minded because of this next phrase. Look at what he says. 
in verse 17 again. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, here it is, nor to put their hope in wealth. Second flaw in our character and judgment is that of misplaced trust. Fixing our hope in wealth, fixing our hope in wealth not only leads us to arrogance, but it also misplaces our trust. And in the process, we mortgage our lives away. And when we misplace our trust, one of the dangers is that it damages us and it can ruin us financially. For the time being, our money still says, in God we trust. I think the irony is that the more we've fixed our hope on wealth, the less we trust in God. We have more hope in the dollar that lies in our pocket than we do in the God who has supplied the dollar. This idea of hope means to fix our hope on. In the original language it meant to expect something. So many people have mortgaged every aspect of their lives against the expectation of money. I not only hope to have money, but I am expecting it to be there. I'm affixing my expectation to money, to wealth, and to riches. And I live my life and I mortgage my life and I leverage everything that I have in my life because I'm chasing the bling of this culture. I mortgage everything to the hope, to the expectation of the paycheck, the raise, the bonus, the income tax return, the money that's mine. That's where we've put our hope. That's where we've put our trust. We've chased the bling and we've leveraged our lives to do it. And we've seen the devastating effects this has on individuals and families as we walk in this current economic crisis as a country, one that has even hit us hard again locally this week. It damages lives. It hurts people. It breaks up marriages when we chase the bling. The more arrogant we become, the more we condition ourselves to trust in wealth. And people in this country and in our circles, they do it, we do it every day that we wake up. Our hope is in money. Our hope is in wealth. It's in what we believe we've amassed for ourselves. There's my hope. Yet the Bible warns us against this attitude. If you remember our Scripture reading this morning from Proverbs chapter 18 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name, the name of the Lord is the strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They build, they imagine it, an unscalable wall. So many people have fixed their hope and misplaced their trust, putting it on money and credit, that they've created their own fortified city and unscalable wall only to realize and only to find out that they can't sustain it. And when it all comes crashing down, we have to help them pick up the pieces, pieces of devastated lives, broken dreams, desperate people, 
whose lives are crippled. Proverbs 22.7 reminds us that the rich rules over the poor and that the borrower becomes a slave to the lender. When we chase the bling and in our richness, in our wealth, credit and mortgage our lives against it, we become a slave to the lender. There's no freedom in that. There's no freedom living that way of always trying to to trust in money. There's no freedom in living a life that chases our cultural standards. You always need more. You can never catch up. You can never get ahead if that is the way we choose to live our lives. It can ruin us financially. The other thing it does is it can ruin us spiritually. Not only can misplaced trust ruin us financially, but it ruins us spiritually because as we try to acquire more and more money, as we try to bling our way through life to be the biggest, to be the flashiest, to have the most, to measure ourselves against other people, there's this natural pull away from God. Our newfound wealth creates within us a sense of freedom and a sense of power. And we rest in that. Do you remember your first big pay raise? Anybody remember that? Anybody remember the moment that you got that bonus and how good it felt? And how you kind of sat back and said, I made it. I've arrived. You gathered all your friends around you and you said, dinner's on me tonight. I've got this newfound freedom. Happy meals for everyone. Isn't that how it feels? You get a little uh, uptick in your paycheck. You get a little bump. You get a little bonus. And you feel like you made it. You can rest easy. You can exhale. You can breathe. And man, that feels good. And the danger, the danger is we begin to trust the wealth instead of the God who provided the wealth. Again, this isn't about being rich is bad. That's not what this series is about. It's about how to be rich as a Christ follower. And I say it begins with attitude. Just a few, um, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. When we chase wealth, we run away from God. Because we're putting our hope in money. It pulls us away from God. Do we really need to be convinced of this? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, just a few verses before our our text this morning. In verse 10 he says this, For the love of money... The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It is the love of money that is the root of evil. Not money, the love of it. And those who are eager for wealth, those who are eager for riches, 
those who are eager for money, some of them, they've wandered from the faith and they've pierced themselves with all kinds of grief. Maybe we should just soak in that for a few moments. Let that wash over us and govern how we manage our households. And I wonder, again, do we really need to be convinced of the truth of this? Doesn't it seem natural once it's said that, yeah, how true that is. Bernard Madoff swindled numerous people out of hundreds of millions of dollars. The love of money drives people away from God, away from godliness, to their own kind of rationale, to their own kind of belief system. The love of money and being eager for money drives them to do what is right in their own eyes and they justify it for years. And I think we're all subject to that kind of corruption. We're all subject to that kind of destruction and arrogance when we fix our hope on wealth. And in some ways, I wonder if the real difference between some of us and Bernard Madoff is the number of zeros behind the numbers we dream about. The only real difference between us and Him, if we fix our hope on wealth, really the only real difference between us and Him are the number of zeros we dream about. His are in the billions. Ours may be in the hundreds of thousands or millions, but we still, we're still open to the corruption, aren't we? We're still open to being led astray by the, the, the lure of of wealth and money. As we turn away from God and place our trust in money, it's so easy to forget that all of what we have, our life, our health, our wealth, it all comes from God. See, the arrogant puff out their chest and exclaim what they've what they've accomplished, while the godly fall on their knees and thank God for His blessings. The arrogant find it difficult, if not preposterous, to give away a tithe or offering of their wealth back to God, while the godly quietly and reverently thank God for the opportunity to steward His wealth and offer back to Him a portion of what He's given as an act of worship. The arrogant turn away when real needs are discovered. The godly sell their possessions and give to the need. The arrogant grow desperate when the economy is weakened, while the godly are reminded that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who supplies their every need. Do you see the difference? It's one of attitude. What does it mean to be rich? as a follower of Christ? In the weeks ahead, we'll continue to unpack that. But again, for today, what it means to be rich begins with an attitude change. Look again at verse 17 and the contrast at the end of the verse. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but contrast shift of image, shift of emphasis, but to put their hope in God, 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I wish we could sit and really unpack that because that last phrase as I've been teaching that really kind of jumped out at me. We are all rich and we are all blessed by God. And it says here not to, not to be arrogant or to put our hope in wealth, but to put our hope in God who doesn't just meet our need, does He? What does the verse say? He richly blesses. And He meets what? Provides us with what? Everything for our enjoyment. Those who put their hope in God will not only see their needs met, but I think God smiles down because of their obedience and He richly meets their needs and He richly provides everything for their enjoyment. You know, I said before in the last service that I don't like to pay my heat bill, but I need heat. And I'm trusting God that He will meet that need. But isn't it also good to know that God not only meets our needs like that, but He richly provides everything for our enjoyment. He's a God who is trusted. He's a God who is faithful. There's nothing certain There's nothing certain or sure of with money and a global economy. What we're sure of, what we can be certain of, is a God who is faithful and true. He is faithful and not only provides, but He richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. Being rich begins with an attitude, one that fixes our hope on God. The choir sang about that this morning. They were speaking the words of this message when they sang about um, trusting in God always. I don't want to make a political statement. This has nothing to do with party affiliation or the administration going out or the administration coming in. But someone once said that Our hope is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God moving in the hearts of people. And I turn on the television and I read the newspapers and we as a country are putting our hope in stimulus packages and billions of dollars coming out of government. I don't necessarily care how you feel about that other than to say this. We need to be people who are putting our hope in God, not people who are putting our hope in money. Our hope is in God. As soon as we start putting our hope in money, it will ruin us financially and it will ruin us spiritually. Money is uncertain. But God is tested and trusted and found faithful. How are we to be rich as Christ followers? It's attitude. We put our hope 
and our expectation on God. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that you would take these words and not only challenge us, but encourage us. Encourage us to know that as uncomfortable as it may feel waking up every day, putting our hope in you and not putting our hope in money, pray that you would be faithful and remind us of just how blessed we are as a country and as people. And just how much you want to, you wish to, you desire to richly provide for us. Not only for our need, but God also for our pleasure and for our enjoyment. All of it comes from you. So God, help us be rich in this world as Christ followers. Help us to walk with an attitude that says we will trust God. Help us not to walk in arrogance, being inconsiderate of others, but God, help us to honor the King and to trust Him. You are so good to us, and we thank You. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.